Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning. Good to see you. If you'd open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 10, please, I would appreciate that. Psalm 10. We are uh, still in our series, Summer in the Psalms, and uh, that's going to end pretty quickly. We're going to stop. Uh, next week is our last week in the Psalms, and then I guess we officially move into fall or something, I don't know, after Labor Day. But we will come back to this. So we got through 11 chapters, or we will, we will have gotten through 11 chapters, and we'll start back up in, in chapter 12, probably next uh, later part of May or first part of June. So we have a little while, take a break, we'll do something else. I did want to let you know our, our next series that we'll be doing is called Lord Teach Us to Pray. Uh, we'll be going through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and in Luke and uh, learning what the Lord has in store for us and how to pray. It'll probably take a couple months at least, maybe three months to go through that. So uh, start studying up on that as well. Not only reading Psalm 11, but look at the Lord's Prayer for the first uh, second weekend in uh, September. So we are continuing in Psalm 10 today from Psalm 9. Alistair preached last week on Psalm 9, and, and uh, most people would say that 9 and 10 were meant to stick together. That it was basically a, the poet, poetically uh, built on, on the acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet, and half of the, the first half of the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet is, is on the first on Psalm 9, and then the second half is on Psalm 10. So it looks like it's supposed to stick together. Uh, but there was some, some question about that, and whether, whether it's your, your Bible or other Bibles say you know, it's just 9 or it's 9 and 10, uh, there are... Uh, they are definitely similar. As David wrote this, they're definitely similar, except for a mood that changed. And I want, I want us to notice that today. Uh, yet last week, as, as Alistair presented this to us, there were very strong statements uh, of faith in, in Psalm 9. If you turn there uh, with me, I'll, we'll, we'll look at a couple of those. Psalm chapter 9. <clears throat> he starts off in verse 1, I will thank the Lord with all my heart. I, I will declare all your wondrous Works. I will rejoice and boast about you. I will sing about your name, Most High. Uh, going, going on, uh, in verse uh, 7, the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for judgment. Uh, cruising on, you see the nations have fallen, in verse 15, the nations have fallen into the pit they made. Their foot is caught in the net that they have concealed. Uh, the Lord has made himself known, and he has executed justice. Uh, going back down, uh, verse 17, the wicked will return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. Uh, in, in verse 20, put terror in them, Lord, let the nations know they are only humans. And it was, it was just this huge statement of faith. And it was bold, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't lacking any faith. It was just like, this is, this, we know the Lord. And, and so the reason I think we see it split, uh, and there's no title on it, right? There's no title we see on uh, Psalm 10. It's just meant to be, kind of be together. But the reason was kind of a mood change from that psalm to Psalm 10, verse 1. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 10. All of that big, big grandeur of statements of faith, like, wow, look how amazing God is. I'm, I'm, there's no doubt in my mind. Then verse 1 of chapter 10, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Now, do you see how the mood changes? You see, if we were just reading that straight through, you're like, wait, what, what just happened? And, and so either it goes together and, and we see it build again, back up to a mood of, of faith at the end of Psalm 10, or it was, it was a companion psalm meant to, meant to be presented together in order to, to see uh, an eternal perspective on God's justice. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is an eternal perspective of justice, of God's justice on the world. We tend to ask this question, right? We see bad things happen, and we say, why? Why? And, and it's, it's not bad to ask why. It's not bad to ask questions. But we want to make sure we're doing so in a way that, that will strengthen our faith and not, not weaken our dependence on God. When I ask the question, why, uh, I, I always, my grandma and I, would, we talk, and, and she's like, 
just why not? She say why not? Like what? That's not helpful, Grandma. I'm asking why is this bad stuff happening, and she says why not? Well, what she was saying is in essence that when I ask why, why is this happening? I really have some kind of expectation, even if I don't really believe it. But with that question, there's some expectation that shouldn't the world be perfect? Shouldn't everything just be set in its place, perfectly ordered? And what's the answer to that? No way. It can't. It cannot. And and even if we are looking out and saying, shouldn't this be perfect? We should know better as we look inward, right? We look to ourselves and say, I'm not perfect. I don't have everything set in order and set the way it should be. So, so why am I asking this question? Why? Well, you can still ask why. But we'll see what David does with that question. He kind of changes that question and as his heart changes in Psalm 10 because he gains a perspective, of an, of an, etern- an eternal perspective of what God is up to rather than, than, than putting all his eggs in one basket of, of how mankind can interpret and understand what is going on in the world around. It's okay to be grieved, by the way. It's okay to have sorrow and grief over what goes, goes on. Uh, we should what, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Well, I think we should weep over the things that Jesus weeps over. Amen? If something is, is tragic to him, it should be tragic to us. It's not that we are emotionless. Okay? So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at how we can get an eternal perspective and what, what God does and what his eternal perspective on justice does for our faith. Okay? Let's, let's pray and we'll, we'll go through all of Psalm 10 and we'll break it apart. Father, we are so grateful to be here today, to be united under Christ and in Christ, who is our Savior. We are grateful for the grace given us through Christ on the cross and through his resurrection. We're grateful that you've made a way for us to be whole and forgiven, to be made righteous, not because we're good enough or not because we've achieved anything, but because Jesus accomplished it all for us, that we come to him empty, asking to be filled, and he fills us. Thank you for your forgiveness. God, open our hearts and minds today as we come God, some of us come perplexed or confused about the state of the world and, and despairing about it. God, I, I pray that we'd, we'd get strength from you today. You'd strengthen our hearts and encourage us. You'd give us the answer that we truly need, not the one we think we're looking for. Challenge us. Change us. Convict us by your Holy Spirit. Move us into a place of repentance and obedience that we might be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, that the world would know him through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm chapter 10. You ready? Verse 1. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In in arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his schemings, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there is no accountability since there is no God. His ways are always secure, and your lofty judgments have no effect on him. He scoffs at all his adversaries. He says to himself, I will never be moved from generation to generation without calamity. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in the thicket. He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes a victim and drags him into his net. So he's oppressed and beaten down. Helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Rise up, Lord God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account. 
But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take matters into your own hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked, evil person until you look, at, look for his wickedness and it cannot be found. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from this land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. Amen? Let's break that apart. So we're looking at this, this eternal perspective that we need to gain, and, and it helps to have an eternal perspective. You know, we, we, we talk about suffering, we talk about seasons in life that are sorrowful, uh, times that are hard in our lives. Th- those times are, are short. And I know there are people out there that maybe you and maybe even me, at times it's like this feels like it's been going on for years. When will this season ever end? It's like it's been 18 years since that started or it's been 25 years and I'm still dealing with the same things in my spouse or my parents. When will this end? And, and the eternal perspective says this, however long our life is on earth, right? However long this, this flesh and blood lasts, our soul is eternal. And eternal perspective says I may live 20 or 90 or 100 years, but my soul will live forever. And what this 20 to 90 years time, or 100 years time, is or looks like, or however hard it is, matters very little in comparison to eternity. Amen? That, that when we have an eternal perspective, this life is not all it's cracked up to be. We know that. And this, this life is not the, the end all of our soul. Amen? That we know that there's something more and something bigger and something greater that will last for all eternity. It's something we can't even fathom. So these pains and these troubles are temporary. Whether they're 20 minutes or whether they're your whole life of pain and suffering and loss and despair. They are temporary. And there is one who holds your soul secure. There's one who says, I, I've got you for the long haul. I've got you for eternity. Not just for this life, but for eternity. So, number one, if we have an eternal perspective of justice or of God's justice, uh, it'll bring clarity to confusion. It'll bring clarity to confusion. This is, this is the, the biggest part of our scripture today. It's, it's verses 1 through 13. We're going to take a little, little bit of time and spend it here. Because it really, we do get perplexed. We do get confused. Why is this happening in the world? We ask those questions. And we need to have clarity brought to us from the Lord Jesus that we would see clearly by the power of his Holy Spirit and, and look, at, look at humanity and look at this whole life in the eyes of eternity. But let's start in verse 1. It brings clarity to confusion is what I say. Uh, Psalm 10, 1. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? He starts out kind of in a, in a mopey, depressed way, asking that question, why me? Why us? Why this? this is, and, and for you and I to answer that question, we have to understand that, that God gave us this perfect humanity through, at Eden. When he created Adam and Eve, this, it was perfect. It was everything that we needed. There was no why question there. It was like we had everything we needed and delighted in God forever. But the serpent was more crafty than any living animal, right? And what did he do? He deceived. And, and Adam and Eve fell into temptation. And, and when they fell into temptation, they sinned. Sin in the world and death into the world. And it has come downstream to all of us now, too, that we have done the same. And as sin has entered the world, death continues to enter the world. And it's like a cancer that grows and grows and grows and grows. And it, it, it is bound and determined to take all of us out. And it will without the help of Jesus Christ. Right? He's paid for it. But if we look at the world and say, why is it so messed up? Hmm, we should probably look inside of ourselves. Why are we so messed up? 
It started here in my heart. Now, for me and for most of you, I, I presume, we have put a faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's, he saved us by the power of his, his Spirit, by His grace, through our faith in Him. And we have a new heart now, and He's, he's taken that diseased old heart out, and that, that, that heart that was attached to sin and, and all the consequences of sin. He says, I'm making you free now. I'm giving you a righteousness of perfection that you could never achieve on your own. And yes, the world's still messed up, but I have your heart forever. I've got you covered forever. But David says, why? And he says, why? Because it's a, it's a time where he, he says, I can't feel you right now, Lord. I don't feel good. I can't see you right now. And, and we have times like that in our life as well. There are times and moments in your own life, in your own faith journey, where God feels right there. I mean, you just know he's holding you. You know he's taking you through everything. He's, he's carrying you through like the good dad that he is. And there's times that, that it's like, I can't, I can't see you now, Dad. Where, where'd you go? What happened? I'm, I'm a little more nervous. I don't feel you. What, what, and I get anxious. That anxiety leads to a confusion and a perplexity that, that, that lets me slip up in my faith. You see, it's the presence of God that is the joy of his people. What we like to know and, and feel and see that he's present. And any feeling of his absence can be very discouraging and it can be very distracting. I, I want to I use an example of this for you. And I always do with my children, right? Um, I, I, lo I love how, how I have grown as a follower, a child of, of the Father in heaven. Uh, at the same time, I'm growing as a dad of two young children. Because I think it, the parallels are so, so right on the dot. Like, I just, I want to remind myself I'm a toddler all the time. Like, I'm a toddler to him. I'm a toddler to him. So I have my two young ones, five and three, in my house. I know they're five and three now. Can you believe that? Bailey started kindergarten this year. I was losing my mind, right? <laughs> So, but, but think about children. We'll be, we'll be in outside together, right? And when we're playing outside, there's a little more comfort and, and when mom and dad are there. They can do a little more crazy things because they may not hurt themselves and no one's around, right? They, they might be able to wander a little further out on the property and out on the yard because we're there. We're close by. There's a protection there when they feel our presence, right? The joy of the children is when the father is present. We feel the presence. It also happens sometimes when, I'm, when we're you know, like in the living room. We're they're playing with their toys. We're playing together, and they get, they get distracted. They're playing. They, they don't even really realize they don't need me right at that point, right? They don't need me at all. They're off in their own little world, their own little space. I can do whatever I want right there, and they won't have a clue. But they feel my presence, don't they? But I got to go to the bathroom sometimes, right? So I take a little potty break, right? And, and you, you know what's coming here. I, I just, I'm just gone for 30 seconds. I mean, it's no big deal. But I leave the room, and I hear this anxiousness in their voices, like something has changed for them. Nothing has changed. I'm still dad. I'm still on the premises. I'm still there. I'm still ready to run to a rescue if you need me. I am there. But, but they don't feel like I'm there. Dad, Daddy? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Okay. And, you know, we do that, right? Sometimes we don't feel God's presence. It's not that he went off to the bathroom. He went away. He's still right there. But sometimes we just don't feel it. Or we're closing our eyes or we're focusing or distracted on something else. And we're like, I just don't feel God's presence. It's like, I'm still right here. Just call out. I'm right here. My eyes aren't, I'm not blind. I'm here to see and watch. But we feel that. And we've got to be careful because when we get distracted with the grief and sorrow we see in the world that affects us deeply and emotionally, it will distract us away from our Father who is right there, ever present, ready to help us in a time of need, ready to encourage our faith and strengthen our faith. He's ready to do that for us, just like a good dad or mom is to their children. We can't get distracted. 
because of feelings and emotions. Feelings and emotions do not rule us. It's not bad to have feelings and emotions, but they do not rule our faith. So we don't have to ask, ask that question, why? Where did you go? I, you, why do you stand so far away? He's right there. Charles Spurgeon said this, we should remember that the refiner is, oh, let me go back real quick. It's, it's, it's not the trouble, by the way. There's, trouble could happen with my kids or something could, could happen. But it's not the trouble that they're worried about, but it's the hiding of my face. It's the absence that they feel. Like when, when I'm there, anything could happen, right? It doesn't matter because dad's hand is right there to grab onto. It's not the trouble. It's the absence of me. It's the absence or, of the presence of the father right there, okay? But we will have troubles that come up. And in those troubles, it's, it's so much more certain to know that he is still present. Here's what Spurgeon says. He says, we should remember that the refiner, right, is never far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. When, when we feel like it's just coming down on us, right? We're like in the fire. We're being refined. Where do you think he's standing? Right there, holding on. He's never far. He goes on, he says, and the Son of God is always walking in the midst of the flames when his holy children are cast into them. He's not far off. And we need to get a perspective of clarity. If you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, I'd appreciate that. Keep your ribbon here. We'll come back to this. We certainly are not done there. 1 Peter is almost to the very end of the Bible, just a few books away from the book of Revelation. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 9 together. I want us to understand we're trying to get this perspective of, of an eternal perspective and get clarity to take us out of confusion, right? That's, that's what's needed here. So we, we don't just ask the question why without really knowing, okay, wait, God's got this. All right, so we're getting a perspective here. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 9. He says this, he says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's a big chunk of words, right? It's a lot. Let me just sum that up. Listen, we know there's trials. We know there's troubles. But for us who believe, for us who are children of God, we rejoice in this, even for, it's for a short time, because that fire, that, that refining, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he comes back, it's like, thank you, Jesus. You have saved us. You have done it all for us. You are, you are bringing us out of this now, finally and forever. You will one day bring us out of this forever. And it will result in all the praise, glory, and honor going to him. Then verse 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. See, perspective changing, isn't it? When we get clarity instead of confusion, when we, we don't, don't ask God, why, where are you? Why are you hiding? We say, God doesn't hide. He's not far off. He's right there, and he's continuing to take care of us. What does it say? It says, because, it says, uh, in verse, verse 8, though we've not seen him, we love him. Though we are not seeing him now, we believe in him, and, we, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because, verse 9, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, comfort from all your tribulations. That's not what it says, does it? What is the goal of our faith? It says the salvation of your souls. See, that's what God's in the business of doing, is rescuing souls that need to be rescued. Yes, he'll take care of us. Yes, he's going to watch out for us. 
Just like, a, but for me, like a dad, I don't, I don't to keep my kids from every uh, bruised thumb or, or split toe. I, I'd have to wrap them in like bubble wrap and send them on their way. I couldn't do it. I mean, it's, I'm not going to be able to keep my kids from all that stuff. We have band-aids though, and we have Neosporin, and we can wash it out and clean it out, right? Amen. That's what we have. What I am concerned about with my children is the condition of their heart. Yes, we can talk about the fact you got in a fight with your brother, and now you have a black eye, and he has a bloody lip, and we'll, we'll move on, though. Let's talk about why that happened. Let's talk about your heart and the condition of your heart. Let's get to the real matter here, and that's what Jesus is all about. Yes, he cares about our trouble. Yes, he cares about our stubbed toe and split, split lip, but he cares more about our souls. This is not about a salvation from trouble or comfort being comfortable, but it is, it is salvation for our souls souls. So in trouble times, right, we are refined. And without it, we can't clearly see an eternal perspective of hope in Jesus. See, if if everything was cupcakes and rainbows, there'd be no need for us to be rescued from anything. There'd be no need for us to view God as this Savior and Rescuer. We wouldn't need anything. But you and I do face trouble and sorrow and grief and have sin in our heart and we need him to be our everything. And he's right there, ready to do that. The glorious hope that we have is in Christ. It's the prize, the greatest prize we could ever have. And we going on in verse, back to, go back to Psalms. Psalm 10. We're going on in verses uh, 2, 2 and following now. And I want to go back to say this, okay? When, when we let our emotions over grief and suffering and trouble affect our faith, that's when it leads to sin. It should be something that, that affects us in such a deep way that we run to God and He strengthens our faith. And it's not that we don't have, don't have grief. Okay, so that we, I said that earlier. Like we, there, there are grieving times. We should be able to grieve. We should be able to weep. We should be able to have sorrow. There's a difference between grief and sorrow over confusion of why is this stuff happening? See, grief and sorrow shouldn't lead to a faith that is confused about the goodness and about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Right? Grief and sorrow, say it again, grief and sorrow shouldn't lead to a faith that is confused about the goodness and hope of Jesus Christ. There is goodness and hope in Jesus. Nothing to be confused about there. There's goodness and hope in Jesus. Yes, we can grieve. Yes, we can have sorrow. But there's goodness and hope in Christ. So David goes on. Let's look at verses 2 through 4. In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. He's given us a picture of what he's confused about. In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. Uh, The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord in all his scheming. The wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there is no God. Wow, this picture he's painting of the wicked, right? It's true. You look out there, this is true what people do and what they say. And, and, and this is like the, the, an atheistic view of, of, of the world, that there is no God. And, and, and we'll see later as we continue on through this that you really can't live consistently even with that viewpoint, okay? But, but this is very dangerous. Now, not for you and I who are Christ followers and who have Christ in us and, and is living through us and, and changing us, conforming us into the image of Christ, But for the wicked, those who have not believed, it's very dangerous because, get this, the only place where God is not 
is in the minds and thoughts of the wicked. What does he say? There's no accountability. He, in his mind, in his thinking, there is no accountability since there is no God. That's dangerous. Man, God is everywhere else, but apparently not in the wicked's mind. Not first and foremost there, but, but God is still at work, right? God is still at work. He goes on in verses 5 and 6. He, uh, his ways are always secure. He thinks, he thinks he's always secure. He thinks he's always safe. Your lofty God, your lofty judgments have no effect on him. He scoffs at all his adversaries. He says to himself, I will never be moved from generation to generation without calamity. Nothing, I'm invincible. I can do whatever I want. Let the strong survive. If you get knocked out, I don't care. I'll just run you over. This is, this is the, the impressions of the wicked. Now, that seems really harsh. But that is an actual way that the wicked people live, that wicked people who don't have God live. And it could be on a very small, small way, very small scale. You might watch a neighbor friend or a friend of yours that doesn't believe, doesn't have faith, and you see it kind of played out in the interactions between them and their spouse or them and their kids or their friends. You kind of see it mildly taking place. To even all the way to, to people who are just downright evil crooks that are, that are murdering people or in, in mafia kind of business that are Ill, doing illegal things all the time. And they don't care. It, it, the same heart is there. The same prideful, boastful heart is present. It's the, it's the prideful heart of the wicked. He says, I'm safe. I'll never be moved from generation to generation without calamity. You know, in my mind, there is no God. There's no accountability for that. People love darkness. Why? Well, John 3, 19 says this. This is the judgment. The light, that's Jesus, has come into the world, and people loved what? Darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. If, I'm, if I want to do whatever I want, and I don't care, I want to do it in the dark. So no one can see, especially God can't shine on it. I'll feel good about it. So they re reject the light. They reject the light of Jesus Christ, and, which is, by the way, evident all around, all through creation. We see uh, in Romans that, that by creation, God's divine qualities are clearly seen so that men are without excuse. We, we have no excuse to say there's no God. No, no, you, you look around. God is re revealing himself to you, and God has placed eternity in the heart of every person, trying to draw everyone to himself. That's what God is doing. There is no true atheist out there. And if they fight it, they're just saying, what are they fighting? No, there's no God. Now they're arguing against a God they don't believe in. Okay? Go back to 1 Peter real quick. How does this give us clarity? How, how does this bring us out of confusion? Right? How does this bolster us and strengthen us? <clears throat> We're going to look at this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, if I can turn there. And we're looking at verses uh, 7 through 10. So, so Peter has an encouragement here to, to believers and, and to bolster our, and strengthen our faith, right? To, to bring us into clarity, out of confusion, into clarity about what's going on and what we really have to look forward to and how God really has our back. Here's what it says, starting in verse 7. It says, so honor will come to you who believe. Oh good. oh, good. Okay, so that, that means those of us who sometimes ask that question, why, God? Wait, time out. Get some clarity. Honor will come to you. God, God will, will bring honor to you. Continue on. But for the unbelieving, and he quotes Scripture, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, that's Jesus, and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word, they were destined for this. 
Listen, it says right here, people are going to walk around in darkness, stumbling by their evil desires over Christ all the time. When we ask why, we say, you know, it's, it just happens. They were destined for this. For you and I, those who believe, it said the first part, for those of you who will believe, God will honor you in that. So look at verse 9 now. Look how he honors. Look what, what this honor looks like. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's all who believe. And why are we that? Why are we his? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen? That's what we're doing. We don't say why. We say, thank God you've drawn us out of dark and brought us into your marvelous light. You, you have chose us and saved us for, for your glory and that we would praise you with all we have. He goes on. Once, he says in, in verse 10, once you were not a people, right? Uh, my, my family, my people. Once you were in darkness, right? But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. Now you have received mercy. Amen? See, that's perspective, right? Getting clarity about, our, about the, the universe, about the world around us says, I, I don't have to be confused. This world sucks. It's going to be that way forever. And Jesus is a stumbling block if they want to walk around in darkness. But he shined the light into the darkness so that we might see and we might be drawn to him and saved and receive mercy. And that mercy, now we have hope and security and joy forever. It's not about the comfort for tomorrow or today or, to, or the next 20 years. It's about the protection and the mercy for our souls for all eternity. The wicked continue to trip all over Jesus in the dark, and they have no mercy, while the righteous have been pulled into the light, and God's mercy rests on them. See, this is an eternal perspective, and it gives us clarity instead of confusion. Let's go on in verses 7 and following. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes a victim and drags him in his net. So he is oppressed and beaten down. The helpless, helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. It's a, it's a pic picture of the wicked. And, and you know I said there's no true atheist. At the beginning of this text, what was he saying? There is no God. There's no God. And this wicked person has, has revealed his heart, hasn't he? Look at verse 11. He says to himself, what does he say? He says what? God has forgotten. He hides his face and he will never see. He's not watching right now. I, I can do whatever I want. Wait, who's not, who's not watching? Oh, the God that you said you don't believe in? You don't, it doesn't exist? Yeah, he does exist, doesn't he? And see, that's, that's really in the world. That reveals the heart of the world as well. They can say there's no God all they want. It's only true on April 1st, I heard. April Fool's Day, right? It's not true. God reveals himself to them, and, he, and they, they're hoping that he doesn't see. They're hoping they can do whatever they want, and it's hidden because they're doing it in the dark. The cruel and the wicked scoff and find comfort in the notion that God is blind. And does not see. You hear that? 
let's look at verse 1 again. Would you go with me back to verse 1? This is David, right? This is when that mood changed, right? What does he say? Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? This sounds a lot like verse 11, doesn't it? He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. The wicked scoff and find comfort in the notion that God does not see. We cannot be like that. We cannot say what the wicked would say. Oh, God doesn't see. No, God does see. God does see. The wicked thinks he doesn't, they don't, he doesn't see, but God does see. So let's not put ourselves in the same place of the wicked, saying the same thing. Let's answer that question in a different way. And it goes on in verse 12. He says, rise up, Lord God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Now, here's the hope. Here's the difference. Here's that trans- transfer. Look at verse 13. What's the first word? It says, why? He asked the questioning, doesn't he? He started in verse 1 saying, why? And it was a messed up. It was messed up. Why, why do bad things happen? Why is all this going bad? Why is all this wrong? He changes his tone because you know who says that they hide or that God, God is hidden from them or God doesn't see? That's the wicked. The wicked say that. Not David, not you and I. The wicked say that. So what does he say in verse 13? Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account. See, there's clarity coming where there was confusion, isn't there? There's clarity and understanding saying the wicked person is trying to hide from God. I can't believe it. God can see what's going on. Are you kidding me? Why has the wicked person despised God? Why is he thinking that he will not have to give an account? It's a great way to to move from confusion into clarity with that perspective, understanding that God does see, and and they will, the wicked will have to give an account before God. The fact is, sin and suffering and affliction in this life do at times gain a temporary advantage. It happens, and it sometimes gives us the appearance that God is indifferent toward these injustices or towards our comfort or or our, our feelings. But temporary losses, this is what David understands, temporary losses or temporary feelings should never be interpreted as God's ultimate defeat. God will have the last word, amen? And that's the eternal perspective that we need. When we shift our focus from the earthly to the eternal, anxiety turns to assurance and confusion turns to clarity for us. All right, that's the introduction. Let's, let's get going. No. That was number one. I told you we'd stay there for quite a while. Number two, if we're looking at this eternal perspective, right, eternal perspective of God's justice, number two, helps us rest assured. So the first one, gave us clarity. We see we can get clarity from confusion. This now, God, this perspective helps us rest assured. So you see this, this strength kind of starting to well up in David, this faith and this confidence start to grow in him again, right? So let's look at the next passage, the next part of the passage, verses 14 and 15. But, I love that word, right? But what? But God. There's always this transition from something horrible, something bad, and there's this perspective change, right? I can argue with myself. I can kind of, kind of try to process what I'm feeling, but at some point I have to come up with but, and here's the truth, let's, let's go on to it, but you yourself, here's what he says, he's praying to God, his plea goes to God, but you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take matters into your own hands. 
the helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. See, even in despair, we see faith keep breaking through, right? This confidence keep breaking through because we had some clarity and a perspective of who, who God is and, and who he's not. And now we see this, this rest for, for those who are helpless and those who are going to entrust themselves to God. And even though the why of verse 1 is kind of, we moved on for that and it's unanswered, the trouble now can be faced. We were there. Why is this trouble happening? Now he's moved on to the place where, okay, I'm moving beyond the question, and the trouble can be faced because we know it's not faced alone. Look at the first part. But you yourself have seen. God, what I'm watching, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, you're, you're right there. You're watching. You're seeing. seeing you're feeling as well. that We are not in this alone. God does see, and he will deal with it. Another parenting illustration for you. And I think this is so true of God. There's so much, obviously, these illustrations about the father, about father and mother of kids, it, God is so much better than that, amen? God is such, such a greater parent than we could ever hope to be. But for my kids, we'll, they'll go outside and play in the grass, and we'll keep a window cracked so we can hear kind of what's going on, and that's always good to hear, right? Mom and dad are always listening. Mom and dad are always listening, right? So I, I'm, I'm there, I'm in the kitchen, and, I'll, and we have a window out to our, our yard. And I like to make sure I know what's going on out there, right? Just because I know my children need some help here. Just like I need help here. So what do I do? I watch. I watch. Now, if some emergency happens outside, if my son, my son takes this huge club and, and knocks my daughter out, I'm going to run out there like crazy. I'm going to go right to, right to the rescue. Okay, not, hasn't, hasn't happened, by the way. <laughs> not yet. But I'm watching. And do I see some things I don't like? Absolutely, I do. Do I see some attitudes I don't like? Yep. Do I see some, some issues with, not, with pride that I don't like? Absolutely, I do. But I'm watching. And something happens. Let's just say my, my daughter takes a stick and swings it at the Hulk action figure and knocks it off the fire pit, and my son just breaks down crying, right? He's so distraught over that. I mean, that was wrong. She shouldn't have swung a stick at Hulk. I mean, it's Hulk, for crying out loud, right? He's going to kind of, no. So my son, bawling, right? I know what's going on. I'm watching through the window, right? I'm watching through the window. My son's bawling. He's walking forward. So I'm gonna, I step out of the door onto the front porch quietly. The door kind of shuts. And my son, <laughs> and he comes right here and he looks up. Daddy. I know, son. I was watching. I was watching. Bailey, come here, please. Oh, bring the stick. <laughs> no. But I was watching, right? <laughs> you just got that now, right? Yeah. Bring the stick with you. <laughs> I'm going to hulk out on you in a minute. So daddy's watching. He's, and this is the comfort that David is finding as well. This is the rest he can find knowing that his father is watching and he sees and he's going to take matters in his, into his own hands. My, I know my kids, I know when I was a kid, I hated it when my parents knew what was going on. There were times it worked in my favor, right? Dad, you saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Brady, my brother, get over here. Right? It was worked in my favor. But man, there were a lot of times it did not. Right? I didn't like it. But, but it helped me grow. And, and my dad was able to, to help and nurture me and see. And when it was in my favor, when it, when it, was, when it was coming to my, my, my side and justice was being served, I, was, I, was, I could rest in my daddy's arms or my mom's, my mom's arms and decisions. I knew that they had my back. Or sometimes my backside, right? 
but, but the Father is not far off. And David makes that statement, just like parents are watching, and they see what's going on, and they may not run out there and, and deal with you, but when you come over, what, yeah, I know, I was watching. Now let's take care of this. I was watching, it wasn't far from me. And David says that. You yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take matters into your own hands, in order to be a good dad, a good shepherd. So what happens? The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. This word entrust is, is a sen- in the sense of the word, it's, it's to abandon one's self. To stop relying on your own ability or your own understanding or your own desire to get even and to let God have it himself. That God would take care of justice and God would take care of the fatherless, that he would be a helper to the fatherless. Because he sees and observes in order to take matters into his own hands, you and I, the helpless, can rest assured and trust ourselves to him. Amen? And it's a complete trust. Abandoning oneself and trusting ourselves is an expression of personal and complete trust into the hands of the Father. And I don't have to have it figured out. I'm so glad I don't have to have it figured out because I know I would just mess it up anyway. And we trust that he is watching. Hebrews 4.13 says this, no creature is hidden. Now listen, I'm I'm a parent. I I watch my kids really well as best I know how, but I'm not always watching, right? I can't always watch. I, I try to make them believe I'm always watching, but I can't always watch. But the Father in heaven, he's always watching. Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from him. Nothing is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He will deal justice. And and, and for us, we can rest assured in him. So with that complete trust in him, his plea continues. David's plea continues, knowing that he he can trust himself to the Lord and find rest there. He says, and break the arm of the wicked, evil person until you look for his wickedness, but it can't be found the sense of this passage, the sense of this verse is not like, God, break his arm, snap it. There's a sense in there that there is deliverance, that they will get what they, what's due to them. But it's also that, God, God, get rid of their power and the authority they have. And, and here's how I want to ask it today for you. Are you giving the actions of wicked people power over you and your faith? Are you giving the actions of wicked people or, or the per- perceived or seen traumas and troubles, are you giving those things power over you and your faith? We do sometimes, don't we? We let it rule us. We let it rule our emotions. We let it rule our, our, our feelings. We let it rule our faith and our, our comfort. And that's when we start to shake. God wants to give us rest. When we let the actions of the wicked have power and authority in our lives, we start to lose our focus and become distracted from our solid faith. Our faith is complete and assured because it rests in the author and finisher of it, Jesus Christ himself. We don't have to be distracted. We want to pray that he would break the power that those things have over us, the hold that they have us, the effect. Not that we wouldn't grieve. Not that we wouldn't have sorrow, but it won't control us. We abandon our will, our ideas, our understanding to His, and we can rest assured in His ability 
to take care of it and to take care of us and to increase our faith. Number three, having an eternal perspective of justice strengthens the heart. It strengthens the heart. So we've got clarity from confusion. Now we've got rest. We can rest assured in Him in a confident faith. And finally, the answer we're really looking for is, is found. He strengthens the heart. Let's look at verses 16, 17, and 18. It's a whole change of tone again. It goes back to, it looks, it looks like Psalm 9. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from His, his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble, and you will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. Why, God, turns into, God, strengthen my heart. God's answer to us is this. I'm all you need. I am all you need. And however distant the day of justice seems, there is one promise that is not delayed. I will strengthen your heart. I will strengthen your heart. It's the same kind of answer that, that Paul had to accept and the same kind of answer Paul learned to value. Last place, let's turn to 2 Corinthians. We're done in Psalms. Go to 2 Corinthians with me if you would. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, Paul had some suffering going on. He called it the thorn in his flesh. <clears throat> in verses 8 through 10, talk about his, his, re, his reaction here. What Paul had to accept and what Paul valued. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, Concerning this, this thorn in my flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said, that he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And Paul goes on to say, Therefore I will gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. In verse, look at verse 10. He says, So I take pleasure in weaknesses. This is no longer, why God, why God? He's like, bring it on. Bring it on. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in, in difficulties for the sake of Christ. Why? Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, God's grace is more than enough. We have all we need in Him, and He is so ready to strengthen our hearts. He is everything we need. And we should find our greatest joy and our greatest comfort in Him rather than in the comfort or even the understanding of the world around us. Only He can truly strengthen our hearts. Amen? All right, let's stand for prayer.